there, everyone. Thank you for joining. We're here with the Muslim Food Bank, Muslim Care Center, and Aspire, and our awesome guest, Joe Calendino of Yo Bro, Yo Girl. Hey, Joe, how's everything? Excellent. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much. So, Yo Bro, Yo Girl, it's a Vancouver-based institution, and it's been around for about 10 years now? It has, yes. It has. So, why don't you tell us maybe a little bit about your history before getting into the uh, organization itself? Well, Joe Calendino, not the entity, uh, YBYG Youth Initiative uh, came to be because of my story and the trials and tribulations that I made a choice to go on a certain venture and through all the trials and tribulations and adversity of being an ex-gangster, I'm an ex-full patch member of the Hells Angels and also a recovering drug addict. So. So from that experience, your, mm-hmm. role, your uh, girl was born? Well, it was multiple experiences through adolescent years, then into adulthood, then into trials and tribulations, loss of family. So for me, it started at a very young age, as early as 13, right? And I started to make a choice of, you know, wanting to fight the rumble in the jungle. Back in the 80s, it's extremely different than today. So today, in Greater Vancouver, we see youth nowadays picking up guns. You know, um, the drugs of choice nowadays were nowhere near the drugs that we had growing up through the 80s. We could literally count the drugs on our two hands. Nowadays, there's drugs that kill you. Once upon a time, our parents would say, don't do drugs, because they will kill you. Well, back when we were growing up, that was an extreme. And it was very far and few between that there was loss of life due to drugs. So, in today's space and place, with the fentanyl crisis, and we're going through a pandemic right now, every single month, we are above 100 people dying to opioids. So if we take a look at our last five, six months of the pandemic, which has killed 254 people, the opioid crisis has killed literally a thousand people. In the same time? In the same time frame. So those are the stats. And people don't get there because they are born addicted to fentanyl. It was a journey of choices. And if we can somewhere along the way within YBYG and our partnerships with MFB, MAC, Aspire, to create a sense of community around our youth transitioning into adulthood. If we can stop that pattern, dead in its tracks, then we've done an exceptional job. But how do you measure prevention, right? If a child is using quantifiable, qualifiable data that we prevented the problem and stopped the child and intervened on the journey, how do you quantify and qualify that? And do we really want to showcase a child that we helped along their journey? Right, to put them on a different path than where they could have ended up. Exactly. So, so yo bro, yo girl, why don't we just, uh, because there's so much to unpack here and discuss, why don't we just tell uh, the audience here a little bit about 
an overview of the organization. Yo Grow, Yo Girl Youth Initiative is, you know, uh, when we first started out 10 years ago, we called it a drug and gang prevention based program. Okay. Well, now we've kind of reinvented ourselves throughout the process because truly it's about choices, right? So trying to intervene a child that is making bad choices, right? Then we stop that trajectory of making that move into drugs or gangs or bullying or you know can help support the child with mental health issues so they don't go into the self-medicating avenue which so many people nowadays are doing right so mental health is a big umbrella you know just creating that sense of community that sense of family that sense of love because that's what it comes back to Allow the child to feel loved. Allow the child to feel protected. And allow the child, most critical, we have two ears, one mouth, be heard. Allow the child to be heard. So if we're not hearing the child and we're trying to verbalize what we believe, they're going to tune out. What you're saying? Now, Yo Girl, Yo Girl, in helping to uh, teach or uh, empower children to make good choices or choices that can lead to a healthy, healthy, productive life, what are the different uh, strategies or programs that uh, YBYG is kind of offering to help uh, facilitate that? Well, that's a very complex answer because, you know, creating um, a sense of environment sense of community, a sense of a place where they feel like they belong. So we engage through sport, activities, group sessions for girls. We've created this amazing program for girls only that wear hijabs that they can take off their hijabs and have a safe place. But most critical for our girls is self-defense. And I don't mean Self-defense, <laughs> proper self-defense, what are tactics, what are strategies, what does a no look like, mm -hmm. when to say no. If they say no, they need to feel empowered. So for all of us, it's a very complex approach. We moved into elementary schools, right? We create activities for kids, right? Various different activities. One of our staples is martial arts and wrestling, right? And I'm not talking competitive, but recreational. We support children to move on to being competitive, but what about an environment where it can be non-competitive, where they feel like they're winning? Right? Not always awarding the first place, awarding the whole team. That sense of team is critical. So, uh, the interviewers are off camera to accommodate for social distancing, so Ari and Joe can be on camera. And Ari, just as an introduction for your role in Yobro Yogro, please introduce yourself. My name is Ari Aziz, and I've been with the Yobro Yogro Youth Initiative for the past eight or nine years so far. And and uh, you were a student and you joined the program and then you eventually became part of the 
operational team and instructors. Yes. So, uh, maybe discuss how you were introduced to it and what your life was before you joined Yo Bro Bro and what Yo, Yo Bro Yo Girl and how you joined and then how it helped change your life and your, 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 your family and friends. Yeah, I joined uh, Yo Bro Yo Girl for the first time in 10th grade when I was at uh, Cotton Park Secondary in Surrey Central. And uh, at the time, it was uh, quite an interesting uh, environment, to say the least. Uh, I had a lot of friends uh, uh, and family as well that were involved in sort of the gang lifestyle. And um, I kind of joined at a time where Yo Bro uh, was just focused on, uh, on really reaching out to the youth through self-defense. And uh, I, I was quite interested as I was walking by, walking past the gym one time and I saw them uh, doing some wrestling. So I just walked in and I, I saw some of my friends who <coughs> perhaps identified with, with that gang lifestyle and uh, I just thought it was cool. I walked in, I had no idea what I was getting myself into and you know, fast forward or eight, nine years down the road and uh, I very quickly took up a, a role as a volunteer and uh, later on became a paid staff member. So this is something that uh, I basically dedicated a good, good portion of my life to, not only from learning the program, but uh, also to giving back to, to you. And, and basically, uh, you're uh, grown up in Surrey, the city of Surrey, correct? Yeah. And your family network and social community uh, and your high school at that time in Surrey, what was the environment like in terms of uh, peer pressure, drugs, uh, gangs, that sort of thing? And how this program, as as a way of helping with self-esteem and bringing people together in a very productive way, uh, to prevent against some of these problems that you saw growing up and even now. I uh, I graduated high school in 2014, just as a as a reference. And uh, during that time, in particular, there was a lot of gang shootings happening, and uh, the environment that we're in, it wasn't one where anyone was forcing us to become a gangster or to do drugs or to sell drugs. It was more of one where you had a choice and that choice was to either be with the cool kids and you're tough and you're out there and you have your, your, your friends and your group, or you could be with the other kids, you know, staying inside, playing chess, doing video games, whatever it might be at the time. And uh, for a lot of youth that want to stand out and they want to be leaders and they have that kind of fire inside them, to, to do something and they want to be recognized. A lot of a lot of them sort of went down that the, the, the former path which was, you know, to sort of identify with that gang lifestyle. And uh, at the time we were looking up to you know, for lack of a better word, we were looking up to gangsters for as role models back then. And uh, whether it was family members like cousins, um, friends that were in that and they're just a few years older than us and we were sort of admiring them and we, we took them on we wanted to be like them but what happened was when we joined Yobro is that those role models were quickly replaced with people that were actually you know good in, in every sense of the word they were given back to society they were going to school they continued their education they weren't breaking the law and um, it was at a very it was at a very sensitive time as a young teenager for us to be able to sh to be shown both sides of the of the coin, so to say, you know, we we have our friends who we're looking up to prior to that, and you know, one day they're getting shot, and one day they're getting stabbed, and the other one's going to jail, and on the other side we have 
Yobro that is reaching out to us and they're, you know, so to say, showing us the light and they're, they're educating us about the realities of this. And in a way, it was, it was a big help in sort of shaping uh, a lot of our futures you know, for the, the ones that stay in the program to help us sort of get straight. And before the, before the break, actually, Joe was talking to us about choices, about how Yo Bro, Yo Girl is here to help kids make good choices. So do you see that here, Joe? People talk about alignment, right? And knowing <clears throat> their people, right? Instilling a community, core values. Art, yet Ari was not even here during the other interview and what I had stated out loud on video as the video is my witness you couldn't have scripted that you couldn't have there was complete alignment junctures in the road having that constant to replace where Ari could have went right he came from a good family with a good moral compass but yet, what I had to do, and our team had to do, and our board had to do, is create a constant. Ari did not have a choice. Ari knew that every week, at the same time, same place, he would have a taste of joke, right? And it's like going to that restaurant where you enjoy yourself. That's what Ari found. He found comfort, right? Yet his peer group was headed in a, a, a direction. For those of you that don't know, Greater Vancouver from 2012, actually dating back to 2011, right up to 15, 16, okay? We were in the midst of a gang war. There were multiple shootings. You could not turn on the TV for a period of two years where there was not a shooting after shooting after shooting to the point of 2014-15, Ari and I were running a program at Princess Margaret. Bullets were flying in the Newton district of Surrey. I decided to kick open the doors of City Hall. I had had enough. So it's not only creating that constant for our kids, working with education and law enforcement, I needed other people to hear me. I needed ears to hear what I was saying and from there I got introduced to a council member by the name of Mary Martins. Mary Martins then came to meet with Ari Aziz and myself and then City Hall through previous mayor Linda Hefner created an avenue where they had had enough as well as the community had had enough and Ari quickly became the poster child of prevention, early intervention in elementary schools. We needed to shift gears. We needed to stop the problem before it even started. The peer group that Ari was with, they were a handful, an extreme handful. But yet, all the kids, because of my previous story, knew that here's a guy that's been there, done that. So you can have an educator, you can have a policeman tell you, don't do this, don't do that. Part of my journey was by the uh, with a gentleman by the name of Kevin Torbeck. Kevin Torbeck and I grew up together. 
I went left, became a full patch member of the Hells Angels. He went right, outlaw motorcycle gang unit policemen. Together, we created a journey, right? So, Kevin Torvik will always say, as a cop, they tune me out the second I walk in the room. My past allows me an opportunity for them to hear me. And my voice, seeing the bloodshed, seeing the loss of life, seeing the addiction, seeing the people that were in despair and then committing suicide. I've seen a lot, but where is it we all, as society, need to own and support our youth? Don't dictate, don't write the book for them, support them. Artie made his choices. There were benchmarks with Artie, and there were constants, and his father was very supportive. He is a wonderful man. His mother, his father was all in. I love his dad. He's extraordinary. Right? But, but what you provided, again, with your history, and we didn't go into Hells Angels, former Hells Angels, the gang life, addiction, mental health issues. You went on a, a journey of being a successful businessman and then eventually getting involved into organized crime and then addiction and then coming out the other side to give back from your learned experience and commit to the youth as a life's work. That, that's an amazing arc and journey, and I know it's a lot to unpack, but with your upbringing as a young person, uh, when you were Ari's age or younger, dealing with issues of peer pressure, of, of, of wanting to be tough, wanting to be with the, the guys that had the respect and the money were involved in illegal activities, and the desire is to be cool, the desire is to be flashy, the cars, the clothes, the women, and, and maybe if you go back to the time when you were a younger person, even than Ari, to this arc of where you are going through your personal issues, uh, success in business, losing it when you were in organized crime, and then addiction, and then coming to this journey. So in my adolescent years, you know, I had a father with that had mental health, schizophrenia, right? And um, very traditional Italian family, very loud, right? But if we go back to the 70s, 60s, and 80s, mental health was misunderstood, right? There were not the supports for families like there are today. There are not the supports in the way of clinicians like there are today, right? And being from European descent, um, once upon a time, they didn't believe that that could happen here. So it was pushed away, pushed away, right? And my father got into an altercation when he was not medicated, and it ended uh, not well. Um, my father uh, ended up in prison, and now growing up with a father that had mental health, right? Now, going to visit daddy behind those bars. At the time, there was a prison called BC Penitentiary. And historically, you can look at what happened. They actually ended up shutting the prison down because of the mistreatment towards inmates, right? And now you're growing up without a father. You're going to visit him in jail. 
you have a father that struggled with mental health. Poor me, poor me, poor me. I didn't have the right to feel poor me, right? But in the way of risk factors, even though my brother and sister made all the right choices, because my aunts and uncles and everybody would jump in to help support the family, for me, I was rebellious, I was angry. I didn't feel I had what already had a support. Uh, you know, my peer group, it was rumble in the jungle, similar to Ari's, but the whole environment in East End back in the day, that's just the way it was, right? So the people you turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left, everybody was entrenched, everywhere, right? There was not, and yeah, certain people came out and got the life and did very well for themselves, I understand that. But I was making a choice to kind of get entrenched into a certain life. You know, by the time grade 10, 11, and 12 came around, I had been in 400 fights on the street. I didn't care. You look, breathe, anything me the wrong way. It was on. Even though I'm not the biggest man, right? I was a pretty small guy, 140, 150. I didn't care. But what was I fighting? Who was I fighting? Was I fighting me? is the question, right? And at a point when I fast forward the tape to where I was 21, you know, I got away from the life. I had made all the wrong choices. I was doing the drugs. My first kick in the can with addiction, right? I decided I had had enough. Went back to school, got my business degree, went to work for a major retailer, A&B Sound, didn't get the higher management position I wanted. I excelled very quickly within the umbrella of A&B Sound back in the day. And I did not get the job. And because somebody else had more time served than I did. I was like, excuse me? And looked at the owner of the company at the time and I said, I quit, I'm done. And then I started a journey into the self-holding world and Throughout that process, I felt like what I left at 21, a piece of me was missing. And all it took was one second, one moment for somebody to come back into my life from my past and wash, rinse, repeat. Here I go again. Back into the life. Had a very successful business with TELUS. TELUS was not going to associate with my journey. Police intelligence came back and they said, we think you need to know about this guy. And this is when you joined, rejoined the Hells Angels? I was making my journey to becoming a Hells Angel. And for those that don't know, who are the Hells Angels and what were they then and kind of how did that influence you when you started to shift over to that lifestyle, that organization? Um, for those that don't know who the Hells Angels are, they can go out there and research who they are. It's a motorcycle club that, you know, um, through your own investigations, they can find out who the organization is. And um, as a Hells Angel, the choices I was making and convicted and charged with is I got caught with a lot of drugs. I got caught with a loaded 45. I also ended up a full-on drug addict. 
My club kicked me out. I was a handful even for the Hells Angels. And that's saying a lot as people do their own research for them to say, whoa, whoa, buddy, you're too much. It's time for you to go. So they set me free. But you were deep in addiction by that time. I was. And this was alcohol and drugs. Uh, more so the drug thing. I was fighting a lot. Um, there was an incident in a casino as well. Uh, for those that are watching today, you can research my name and find out. And uh, yeah, it was the drugs. I was making a lot of noise and uh, the Hells Angels did not want the noise I was bringing. And, and for the timeline, this was approximately what year? What years with this? Uh, this would the incident that happened when I got kicked out yeah. would have been 2005, 15 so years 15 ago. 15 years ago, okay. Yeah. And then from from that, what happened next? Um, <clears throat> when you get entrenched in a certain lifestyle and your DNA becomes something, you know, and like I said, I was a handful even for the club, right? Um, Not being a part of that team anymore, not being a part or not being welcomed anymore, that's where the journey ended. And it feels like your life has come to an end. The loss of community and friendship. Community and friendship. Community and brotherhood at a world scale. And as you'd mentioned, you wound up on the downtown east side and that was at the bottom of your addiction when it was full blown you're on the downtown east side and then uh, you mentioned the police officer that you developed a relationship with from many years before didn't give up on you and, and there was somebody who maintained their relationship in law enforcement as an adversary and as a, somebody you'd known and, and please talk about that relationship and how it helped yeah, I was on one side of the fence, he was on the other side of the fence. I hated police, law enforcement, anything that, you know, resembled a badge and a gun. I did not like you, but Kevin and I had a history, per se, growing up, adolescence, that sense of community, right? Kind of going back to our younger years, going to the same high school, you know, he had his social, I had my social, but still we hung here and there, right? And, you know, Torvik, as he became gang task force, he even came by my house one day. I was working on my bike, I hadn't seen him for years. And then he pops his head over the fence, he goes, Calendino. And I look up and I'm like, Torvik, how are you, bro? And he goes, buddy, just want you to know, I'm now with the biker gang unit and one day I'm gonna take your ass down. I've got a wrench in my hand. <laughs> I look up at Torvik, I said, get off my property now. So anyway, he went his way, I go mine. We run into each other because he was OMG, right? Outlaw motorcycle gang unit. So they would always be interactions. I hated a lot of them. So the interactions with the majority of them were pretty well um, 
not very tactful on my behalf. There was a lot of uh, anger towards them. But Tarvik and I, we just had a nod. Tarvik, I had an AK for him, I called him GQ. He's got perfect hair, walks like a cop, talks like a cop. My God. And uh, um, there was just that, you know, hey, we didn't shake hands, but, but. And he knew where I was, I knew where he was, right? And, uh, you know, as we fast forward and we start going through our journeys, respectively, he had heard that I was spiraling, spiraling, falling, crumbling, falling. And it didn't take one attempt, it took multiple attempts. He'd reach out either through my family or through somebody I knew or down on the Lower East Side. And then when a policeman would pick me up, you know, uh, somehow Ken Torek always knew, I don't know how, but he always knew. And, you know, when I ended up in the hospital OD, he'd show up with his perfect hair and GQ looks. Get out of here, man. And he'd just say, look, you know, um, I'm here to help. He didn't give up on you. No, and I just thought, you know, what do you want from me? I got nothing to give. You know, and my past is my past. That that's gone. Leave that alone. But um, Kevin Torvik, uh, you know, uh, his upbringing, and we've uh, presented all over globally or throughout Canada uh, with my criminal past. Uh, not that I want to go down to the U.S. right about now, but, um, you know, uh, Torvik and I have done a lot of uh, speaking gigs together, but it was what was ingrained in him from his mother, right? He took off his gun, his badge, his hatred towards who I was and wanted to help. And personally, I think Torvik had a bit of a vision, right? Similar to what I would do with Ari and uh, a lot of our staff members, you know, I give them hurdles as I spoke up earlier. So, and, uh, and he could see a vision for you beyond what you thought of at the time. I think he, just like you could see a vision for your students, but beyond what they can see. Yeah, and if you broaden out exactly what you said, but Torek, he even stated out loud to multiple police officers, could you, if you can imagine when Torek, I finally put my hand up and I was in prison for uh, crack cocaine, I'm, you know, trying to supply my habit. I was emaciated, 140 pounds, and I just looked up and said, I never want to see a kid go through this, and Torek's like, you can't even help yourself, dude. But, light bulb must have went on for him, and I think his journey was to give back as he says to law enforcement, well, Calendino, and he watched me do a presentation one time in the way the kids just were all in, right? He, it, 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 Torvik then had a fish and brought it back to law enforcement. And if you can imagine, you know, the, the Vancouver police force, Torvik says, yeah, gentlemen, I've got a great idea. I'm gonna bring Joe Calendino into schools. Excel's angel recovering drug addict and trust me a lot of these police <laughs> guys and I did not see eye to eye so uh, yeah it was a bit of a journey you know we had a lot of hurdles and you know um, I was scrutinized I was taken to town you know 
you can imagine Excel's Angel now going into schools, you know. Uh, a lot of resistance, a lot of pushback. Oh, a lot of resistance. Sheena Sabri, one of the first principals to allow me into a Surrey Bay school, you know, um, uh, was pretty extraordinary. She took a huge, huge risk to allow me to come in. A Muslim lady. That's correct. A Muslim lady, yes. So she was like the, the proof of concept to say, you know what, Joe? I believe in you. Like, let's, let's get started. At, at first, Kevin and I started off at Templeton, our old East Van school. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah. And for a short time, you know, we tried, but now we want to go bigger and have more effect. And Surrey was quickly becoming a hot spot. So Torvik and I had to do a shift move, and then I met Brenda, you know, an extraordinary lady. And her and the I. Former had, mayor of uh, Surrey? No, no. This is uh, Brenda, okay. my wife. Oh, okay, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she wasn't my wife at the time, but. Uh, then, you know, Brenda, Kevin Torvik, and myself had to do a shift and move and go where the hot spot was, right? And then, yeah, and then Sheena uh, put her hand up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an extraordinary lady that took a huge risk. One of my first interviews ever in 2010 on October 31st were, was done with them, Sheena Saber. And YBYG was formalized like when, when you made a formal organization for this specific focus on helping and empowering youth, what was like that mission at that time? This organization, please go ahead. Yeah, you know, I was very, very lucky to meet a gentleman. Um, his name is Nick Bedford, and he was a part of Social Venture Partners, and Social Venture Partners is an organization where a group of philanthropists come together, and it's similar to a startup. So what they do is they will come in, get you ready for your initial investors to help you create a charitable organization. Because there's only so far Joe Calmina can go. So we really had to shift and move. Torvik, Brenda, myself, and now Nick Bedford coming in to be a critical component of where the organization goes. Creating the board, getting the paperwork through creating your charitable, you know, organization, the mission, where we're going, creating that board. Because as one gentleman said to me once, as we were at a mingle when I was getting to meet the investors, right, that could possibly invest in Yo Bro, Yo Girl, at that time it was Yo Bro. I would tell him my story and he would be sipping on a glass of wine. And he'd go, sexy story. But, you walk across the street and you get hit by a bus. Now what happens with the Yobro Yobro? And he did this like 26 times, I think I counted. And finally I just said to him, you say that one more time. <laughs> and we were on the 23rd floor, so I'll park it there and not say another word about that one. But then it had to be bigger than Joe, creating an organization, developing our youth. They have their stories or tell the story of the organization. And the formula that we created to allow this organization to go beyond Joe. I'm only gonna be a momentary lapse in Yoko Yo Girl. 
That's it. It is up to Ari Mihiba, who you'll meet later on in the video, and the rest of our team to take the journey and go with it. And we got together various Muslim organizations. I know you're like, how many acronyms, how many Muslim organizations? So I'll repeat a few of them. Muslim Food Bank and Community Services, Aspire, Muslim Care Center, and this is hosted by MAC, the Muslim Association of Canada, this facility where we're filming it. And so this is just a collaboration of multiple Muslim stakeholders because a lot of challenges our community is facing, every community is facing addiction, uh, mental health, uh, youth issues, and, uh, and then racism and Islamophobia is another issue. And part of how we formalized actually a relationship with all these organizations and Yo Bro Yo Girl in an actual formalized agreement to work together to help youth. And let's talk about, uh, let's talk about this women's self-defense program. And I'll just share with you the backstory how we came at this. So we met Wahiba uh, through actually my wife had uh, organized a self-defense program in January and I remember her telling me about it and I, I, I can say I didn't pay much attention at that time and then one of our volunteers uh, at Muslim Care Center that gives food to the people on the downtown east side on Maine and Hastings she's uh, 18 years old honor student a Syrian refugee one of the best people I know just a, a very strong uh, mentally strong emotionally strong and spiritually strong person was on the bus with her mom and she was physically assaulted and she was uh, verbally abused and was punched in the head several times and it was such a, a heartbreaking thing to to hear as you know being part of the the care center team and you know we sent the, the emails to the premier's office the mayor's office all law enforcement hate crimes EPD transit police but to their credit everybody responded everybody circled around but it was like beyond the attention, meaningfully, what can we actually do to actually the most vulnerable population, at least in the Muslim community, and even from a racism standpoint in Canada, the people that are getting assaulted and people that have actually gotten shot in the back in Quebec in a mosque uh, because of a racist motivated by violence to kill them because of some perception in the, about the Muslim faith. So the idea was, uh, women that wear hijab without question when they're walking down the street if somebody hates muslims they know that's a muslim and so generally speaking i have a beard yusuf has a beard so some people may think oh this guy's a muslim or he's just growing a beard for fashion but a muslim woman in hijab they know for sure that's a muslim and so on skytrain on the bus uh, uh, at bus stops this is typically where uh, muslim women anyway get get uh, verbally abused and, and, and assaulted. And so the solution, what can we do? And so, and when we spoke to Wahiba, when we did a couple of programs, she says, you have to talk to my director. You have to talk to my director. My director, Joe, he's the one. He can explain to you the whole program, come to an agreement, and then let's formalize this. So Wahiba kind of pushed the uh, direction to come together formally. And then we formalized what our plan and vision had a several meetings and the several organizations and the buy-in is 100%. And so now we're here because uh, for the last three weeks we've been doing self-defense programs for Muslim women here. 
So perhaps we can just talk about the impact that's happening. I know Wahiba is, is super pumped and she's excited and all the women that we've heard from are, are very excited about the, the training. If you don't mind, what I'm going to do is allow Ari to speak to kind of where we're going within this community because for me, I've always been inclusive. Always. Females, we started a girls only program for girls that work at jobs and this is pre the pandemic, 14, right? We have various different communities. REZs, a lot, a lot of my staff are Muslim faith. So are we able to flip to you? Would you like to give a question? Just about the Muslim community and Muslim women and how it's inclusive, right? Because what I love about this, this is, this is your girl, your girl is inclusive. It's everybody, but there's a number of Muslims and everyone's coming together from multiple faiths and backgrounds and races for this youth self-development, which again, I have more kids for, for developing self-confidence, to develop uh, you know, these type of tools for a young person to become an adult. Uh, please talk about how these self-defense programs, what Wahiba's instructing, what you're instructing, how they help uh, change somebody's uh, self-perception of themselves, their self-esteem, their self-respect, their self-confidence. So one of the programs uh, that we have with Yobro Initiative is uh, No Means No, and uh, we basically aim to... And that's no, K-N-O-W, means yes. no, N-O. Yes, yeah. Um, and uh, what, we, what we try to get through that is uh, we try to strengthen our youth, not only physically, but also mentally, and uh, you know, with our collaboration with the Muslim community, also spiritually as well. And uh, our, with that, our, our ultimate goal is to have a generation of people that are coming in through these programs, and when they leave, they're confident in their ability uh, both physically and mentally to be able to say no to someone that is offering them something that's wrong for them or something that uh, is harmful to them. And uh, with the female program in particular, uh, with Wahiba, she is doing a great job at uh, basically prepping these girls up for any type of scenario that might happen. Uh, as Tarek mentioned, uh, with some incidents that are happening on the buses, with the sky trains, with a lot of the Muslim women in hijab, where they're being physically assaulted because they have very physical uh, and apparent signs of the faith on them. Uh, whereas with some of us, even though we may have the beard, as Tara mentioned, you know, it might not be clear whether or not we're Muslim. And if, even if it was clear, we are not the type to get attacked on the street because they know we're gonna defend ourselves and fight back. Absolutely. And uh, again, to talk about this brotherhood, and I think this is what everyone wants, brotherhood, sisterhood, family, community, and I think from, uh, I belong. I think this is what everyone wants. Every, every, even adults, young people, this is where people feel they're safe, they're respected, and there's love. That's what's gonna create strength. And so in the videos that I've seen uh, with all the different races and religions kind of doing the, the, the work together to foster this, again, we are Canadians. We come from every country in the world. And, and this is an expression of, of Canadians uh, every country coming together from multiple races. If you could maybe, I know that was your intention from the get-go, but if you could tell some stories how you brought races and religions that may not necessarily have come together in respect and tolerance and uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. Never 
in my thought process that I create a scenario where the programs had to be designated to individuals. It had to be where people came together and break bread, have a session, a conversation, food, clear messaging as we were growing up through our grandfathers and mothers and fathers and grandfathers. There was messaging. What I created was not magical. It's what we all have within us. It's how we are all connected as human beings. So for me to go in and try to designate programs for various individuals would have been almost a barrier, right? It would have created a sense of Oh, okay, he's coming in here to do this for that. Us and them. Us and them, yeah, scenarios. So that is what it, we all need to recognize. It's just who we are as human beings. It's what I continually had messaging with all our participants, which now, as you can see, Ari and I are aligned. Right? Yes, I could have spoken to that question, but not as articulate as Ari. Do I know no means no? Of course, my wife created it. Ari was aligned to it. I was thinking it. He's aligned to it. So it's having that sense of purpose, creating that community. And yes, tragically, tragically, because of a scenario that happened to a young Syrian woman. That's what brings us together? Why? Because we care about our community. We should all care about each other. And we should have all been doing this a long time ago. Sadly, what happened to that girl is everything I asked for from Ari, for us to make these relationships within the Muslim community. But it brought did it really need to come to that for us to come together? We were so aligned. You and I came from the same streets. The same neighborhood. So I went to Clarney, you went to Templeton. This is our neighborhood. We're in our old neighborhood. I live just down the road from here. So I, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from, but uh, I think people won't necessarily know that time uh, from the 80s or, or the 70s. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of respect for you and the work that you've done because this is the need of the day. It's where it starts is self-esteem, especially when you're a young person, elementary, high school. This is where the characters form and to be able to provide that inclusive environment for men, for women, all races, backgrounds, to come together in this kind of way. And to maybe talk about the martial arts and how the martial arts and wrestling... One thing I do want to address is that Within the Muslim community now, you know, um, I'm seeing uh, more inclusion, right? We're very fortunate to be here today at the Mac Center. Once upon a time, I grew up four blocks away from here. Once upon a time, where I first started my cell phone company, it was right in the back room here. In the same building. Right in the same building. Fast forward the tape 20 years, we're here in the same building, the same place where you and I 
grew up not even five blocks, see all the connections and the magic, right? And within the Muslim community, what I'm seeing is this sense of purpose, inclusion, wanting the community with the strength that the Muslim community has to be bigger, to think more broader, to think of how is it we support people on their journey, whatever that journey may be, right? And I, I'm just very grateful to be a part of the journey that we're forming with the, we only named four, but there's two other ones there's actually <laughs> and one more, more <laughs> that we're working on. But I'm just happy to be a part of where this journey is going to go. Here we are, kind of step one, right? And I have an amazing young man in Ari Aziz, and he's doing very, very well with his education as well. As an engineering student. And that, so this is the product, right? Every parent, they want um, their kids, like Wahiba and uh, Ari, as the two examples that we're referencing here because they are Muslims and for our Muslim audience and those others that aren't Muslims watching this, that this collaboration is these values we all share. Some may say they're Islamic values, but they're human values, Canadian values. We're all in it together. And for you to step up and make a commitment, a life commitment to the youth, that is speaks to me a lot of respect. A lot of this is the need, right? It's like we're dealing with symptoms of addiction, mental health many years later, 30s, 40s, and 50s. But if we can address the core issue of love and inclusiveness, respect, and kind of working together in cooperation as all Canadian men and women, I think that's you're doing it at the beginning, whereas a lot of people are dealing with the problem when it's in the acute and uh, very, very difficult. I love what you just said because, you know, dealing with the problem, but if we... Communicate abroad. Create more collaboration. We don't have to stop what we haven't started. Right? So the problem, the response. Well, why does it always come to a problem? And that's why I'm so grateful for this relationship within the Muslim community because this is going to be something extraordinary. I can feel it, right? I have the right to individuals to take this and run with it because there's only so far Joe will take it. I need a voice from the community. What better voice do I have than this? And soon you will meet what he done. Because the problem? Or do we stop it now before we get to the problem? One thing I, I wanted just for the people in the elementary school, in the high school, how do you conduct your programs? Like, without revealing the secret sauce, the secret recipe. Oh, there's no secret sauce, you know. Um, for us, we have a very clear criteria with all our facilitators. It's very designed. We have, <coughs> excuse me, messaging that all the facilitators, so Ari Wahiba and various others, go in and have a conversation with the, the participants. At the Surrey School, at like all Margaret High School, so all the schools here with the Surrey School Board, all Delta, the schools, Delta, Vancouver, Vancouver, 
the programs are all unified. So once upon a time, <coughs> opposed to Joe County, you know, coming in and keeping everything up in the brain, you know, Joe would come in and, you know, I was very clear because I could feel the room come in, sit them down, started with Joe talking every session. Because I'm a bit of a princess, right? I love the stage. And they'd like it for about a year or two. You know, eventually they'd start to tune me out, but I didn't care. I just turned up the volume. Because what was going on during those times, as Ari alluded to, was shooting after shooting after shooting. People were dying. Addiction, fentanyl just made its way to our streets. So it was easy for me to capture whatever was out there in the world, bring it home to them, and again, don't have to stop what we haven't started right so it was easy for me to grasp environmental what was going on and bring it back to the room and I would just have my way I had my moment on the stage and it'd be a good 10 to 15 minutes and then we'd go into a session activities right um, call it play in the sandbox martial arts Ari is also an extraordinary martial artist as well competitive martial artist uh, instructor in martial arts on his journey to his black belt, right? Which he's probably got about another two years. He's a, that'll put you at about 10 years with me. Then you'll get your black belt. Anyway. Uh, and, and, and with this, with this work that you've done, it's basically the story is what I think your story, Ari's story, I think people need to humanize the work you're doing to say, I can do this too. I think maybe by you telling your story, by you telling your story, it can speak to people. I can do it if they can do it. Yeah, and our messaging now is very structured. You know, back in the day, I wish I captured all those magic moments that I had with all the kids, but I didn't. Stupid me, right? But now we, through Brenda and, you know, Dory um, and Byron, you know, are part of our admin team, and Sook as well, they've created very unified messaging. So it's uh, core competency messaging, right? So all instructors, session one, would be going through the same messaging with core competencies, with outcomes, right? And I make it sound almost like bland now, because it's not as exciting as Joe being a princess, but um, each facilitator will take that messaging and then Ari will have his tone within the Muslim community. Wahiba would have her tone. Whereas Paul Sahora from the South Asian community would take that messaging within the South Asian community, because when you look at it here in British Columbia, right, the community that has been most active in gang warfare is the South Asian community, right? Look at the last seven, eight, 10 years, right? And those of Muslim faith too. So some in the Muslim community, they'll be like, I love the story. Now the next question, how much does it cost? What do we have to pay for this program? What do we have to pay to participate? I'm just speaking for families when they hear, what's it going to cost me? That's a one consideration people will have. What's the response to that? The answer to that question is support. And take your pick of the various different organizations we've named here today and donate. 
because as far as all of the organizations that are in collaboration, we charge zero. Which is, you know, for a family, especially many families struggling with their budgets, and to provide such an important service of being role models to teach valuable skills, and to provide that as a community service with no charge, I gotta say, Joe, like, this is, especially like you said, vulnerable communities, like what family budgets, especially in vulnerable communities, and communities that have recently arrived from other countries, they don't necessarily have the budget to pay for formalized martial arts training or formalized, you know, karate training, but by you being able to come up with funding, and maybe you can talk about from a funding perspective where funding has come from and what the ask is, like the, the overall uh, uh, goal to, to fund the organization, not through payments or membership fees, but through contributions for, for philanthropists, donors, and supporters that support this work? Yeah, there's various umbrellas, you know. Um, philanthropists is, are huge for us, you know, to name a few, like the Spencer Creo Foundation, you know, um, is one that's been huge. Social Venture Partners is two. You know, the Diamond Foundation, three, you know, and I, you know, uh, what do I say about the Molnar Group? He, is also a part of our team, Dak Molnar, on our fund development side, right? So the philanthropy is one component, right? Then number two is Brenda, uh, through grant writing, right? Which, you know, with grants, they come up with a new theme every year, every year. So it's not a constant. So you're consistently trying to shift and move. And what we learned once upon a time, it doesn't fit our DNA, as my wife said, all of you on the board, and you as my husband, can write the grants, because I'm done. And you guys can do the reporting too. And not one of us could write a grant if, our, <laughs> if anything depended on it. So, you know, then there's the strategy with grant writing. There's uh, also, you know, uh, municipal government, so approaching government, right? And then provincial umbrellas. So it's a constant, right? And, you know, um, it's, you're not allowed to make profit with a charity, right? To me, which is, um, yeah, we can allow corporate entities to make profit and bank it, and we as charities have constitution by laws. We can only carry X amount for operating costs for the period, and we're taken down by the CRA. And the feds, when are they going to wake up and allow us to be social philanthropists doing good? Have we ever taken the numbers and said, okay, how much do charities bring back to society? Productive members of society, like to, to mm -hmm. build the, the model citizens, like that is the ultimate goal of the country, is, is to build people to be model representatives of contributors to society. That's the goal, and this is the it impact. Is. So, Joe, we've unpacked a lot, and again, a lot of respect for you, your organization, your team. You know you're gonna have to film Mohibas though, right? Who no, no, will no, be but, so but, upset. But, but she, okay. she wants, and not him and I are she, gonna she, live with that. She wants a dedicated one of just the women. So it's gonna be where women are focused and showcased because I think a lot of times in our community and even public communities, they see men speaking for women, 
So I think her vision was maybe her on screen with other women and a focused women discussion. I love it. Rather than uh, four guys here <laughs> kind of speaking for women. So like a focused women's discussion about the impact of the work that you So you're going to do that today? Uh, whenever she's ready. We're ready to do that if she's ready today or another day or even on the next uh, uh, self-defense day. So, so we're ready. But her focus was, it was about... You're not walking out of here without talking to her, okay? <laughs> we talked to her before. We got it. We came, we had the tripod, and she was like, hey, where are you going? Where are you Does going? she scare me? Yes. Why? Well, I've taught her. So, so I said, yeah, we're going to uh, uh, interview Joe. And she goes, what about me? And I was like, we're, we're going to get you. This is, there's a lot to unpack here. It's like a two-part episode. So we've got a big high level with Joe and, and, and Ari, and then a women's focused one, which deserves its probably the same amount of time to talk about how it affects women and, and the women's role and women's role in making this a very successful organization. Yeah, and just to bring it back just a little bit here, and for those of you that can support the various different organizations um, that we went through that we're collaborating, please do. Please help us help our youth, right? And through donations, is how we are all able. Also, one thing we did not talk about every end of the session ends with food. You provide a, a meal for everybody. Everybody. Fantastic. Nobody goes hungry. If wow. they can't get to the program, we pay for transportation. If they need supports at home, we support that. If they have any obstacles where they're going hungry, we will step in to help the family we're not that big we do what we can right and then uh, the muslim food bank now we have this uh, opportunity that hopefully we can distribute more but clothing socks shoes we've got all that stuff so mm -hmm. there's a lot of interactive ways of collaboration and it, that would be another episode of all the all the other ways of collaborating but uh, but again for the purpose i think we've gotten the message, the vision, the mission, and this is a starting point of, I think, a much broader thing that can be, hopefully, with the purpose, the format that we're putting it on, so it's the webinar format, YouTube Live, or Facebook, um, and then Apple Podcast, the Google Podcast, so all these mediums, so people can hear the story, mm -hmm. by hearing and understanding the story, I think we can get a lot more support by getting the message out to a bigger, bigger audience online. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Ari. Appreciate it, guys. Thank, Thank you, guys.